Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's let's just read this, because it's a very short chapter, 12 verses. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray to you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm entitling this the response of a, pers- uh, of a persecuting uh, society. You know, I think it's just in reading that, you can see he begins by talking about the Thessalonians being persecuted, things that are going on in their lives. Now, most of the time when we think about persecution in the first century, what do we think about? Yeah, death. We think about the Colosseum and the, and the, um, the lions and all that. Well, at this particular time, that probably was not happening. All right. Uh, this is around the early 50s uh, when Paul wrote this. And the emperor at that time was Claudius. And Claudius did not, uh, even though he had his issue, he's the one that, that you find out in 1 Corinthians where he has driven the Jews out of Rome. Uh, that was really his persecution. He just, he just exiled and said, no Jews can live in Rome. Move. And so people moved... Uh, over to, you know, away from uh, Rome. But there wasn't this active nationwide persecution that was going on until the emperor after Claudius, who was the one that most of us know, Nero. And that happened in a, in a bigger scale. And it wasn't, it wasn't even nationwide as much as it was just, for, just around Rome. So when we read this about, when he says, um, uh, talks about the the things that you're suffering and uh, the persecution and all the persecutions and trials you are enduring, 
Don't think that they are necessarily dying for their faith at this point. And so when I thought about that, I, I thought about us and the type of persecutions that Christians have today. And so I think we can really relate to this more. I think sometimes we read these things and say, oh, one day in the future, there'll be this terrible persecution. Then I can read this and it'll apply to me. But this is talking about today's persecution. And persecution can be all sorts of persecution. Um, It can just be people excluding you. It can be people making fun of you. It can be people... um, uh, uh, not, uh, you know, not inviting you to lunch because you're a Christian or, you know, or, you know, even saying things about you. I don't know. It can be all sorts of persecution and trials and, tri- and, and sufferings. And that can be sometimes we have to make a stand and say, uh, my faith does not allow me to do that. I can't I can't do that. I can't participate in that. I can't uh, join you in that activity. And so. That will make us, you know, be um, suffer in in that way. So these sufferings aren't just physical sufferings that are going on. So the the important thing is that the persecutions and the sufferings have a foundation, no matter what the degree is. All right, you can have a small persecution or small suffering, or it can be very great, and it can be like in the time of Nero where people are actually giving their lives for uh, Christ. But the foundation of that is the same. And here's the important things. When things are not going all that bad, all that badly for us, when our, when our suffering is, we could say, uh, uh, small and our persecution is, is less than uh, devastating, we, if we have these foundational things going on in our lives, it will prepare us if and when worse persecution comes. And so we're going to look at just, uh, you know, what gets us through any kind of persecution. And the first thing uh, I'll look at is in verse 4, where he says, Therefore, among God's churches we boast... Uh, Well, actually, I'm sorry, verse 3. We ought to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Here's the important thing is growing faith, is that our faith is growing more and more. And we've talked about this over and over. How does our faith grow? Our faith grows from hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, putting God's Word into practice. And so if we're not spending time in God's Word, and then we're, our faith is not going to have the nourishment it needs. And that doesn't mean, I, you know, I used to think when I was younger that I had to have a certain type of Bible study, that you're more, more holy if you study the Bible this way or that way, or, or read through the Bible in a year. Who, who, has, who has read through the Bible in a year? You know, we, we all try to do that or do it. And if you're like me, I get behind, like you were talking about. You get behind. And what do you do to catch up? Mm-hmm. You read fast. And then, yeah, you try to read 20 <laughs> chapters and to catch up. And then what do you do? You're like, uh, I don't remember anything I just read. All right. And so I've often said it, it, it is better to 
read a verse, one verse, and think about it and meditate on that in something that you actually remember than read 20 chapters and don't remember anything. So there's all sorts, you know, what works for you? That's the really key is what what works for me doesn't work for you. So you may say, well, I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I have this Bible study and I just really get close to God. I feel close to God when I'm praying and reading this Bible. Well, good. That works for you. But guess what I do at five o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I, I am not reading anything <laughs> worthwhile. All right. So uh, I'm more of a night person. I'm more of a middle of the day person. And so we all need to look at that. But the point is we have to do things that help our faith grow. Reading the Bible, being with other Christians, being encouraged by other Christians. And that goes into the second one where he says, uh, and, th- and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. And so what does that love look like? What does love look like and how does that increase? And one of the songs we were singing, you are talking about the beautiful poetry and this talking about um, the love of, uh, of, of God is, or like of Jesus is um, uh, like peace and like a dove. And, you know, all those things are really good. And as I was singing it and thinking of the words, because I never heard that song, by the way. I'm listening to those words and I'm uh, thinking about them. And I'm saying, that's true and that's true and that's true. And then I thought at the end, well, there's one he missed. Your love is like a cleansing of of the temple of my soul, <laughs> because that's true too. Sometimes his love is um, is cleaning us up, and uh, but we didn't have a verse on that one. You have to write that one. But God's love is shown in all different ways, and so our love for each other is shown in different ways. But but the point is, is it increasing? And Paul was uh, commending these people because their their love was increasing. And then he says, and we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Now, how does that happen? Perseverance. How does perseverance work? It means you keep going when you don't want to go. That's all it means. Perseverance is when I want to give up, when I want to say no, when I'm too tired, when I'm in a bad mood, when I'm not feeling good, I keep on going. I keep persevering. And he says, and your, perse- your perseverance is in these persecutions and trials. These are the things that wear us out. Wear us out emotionally, wear us out uh, physically. They, I don't think they have to wear us out spiritually. I think they can actually strengthen us spiritually. But physically, emotionally, sometimes these things just get to us. And it's during those times we have to just persevere and continue in those things. And so when we look at these, we need motivation. Yes, we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our love for each other. We need to grow in perseverance. But how? What's, what motivates me to do that? Uh, it, you know, a lot of times you get a, a fiery preacher can yell at you and you feel like all motivated until he's gone, and then like, good, he's out of sight, you know, that's good. But what's the motivation to love, continue growing in, in our love for each other when, when sometimes it's really hard to love people? And what, what motivates me to grow in my faith when maybe I'm just lazy and I don't want to be 
don't want to do it. Well, he, he talks about that a little more. Look at verse 5. He says, all this, is, all this evidence is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for, for which you are suffering. Here's, here's some motivation. You will be counted worthy of God. So he's saying, you know these things you're going through? You're going to be <laughs> worthy. Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're going to be counted worthy of God. And that worthiness means literally that, that word worthy means you're put in, in a balanced scale and you measure up. All right, you are measure, you're worthy of God. And uh, another place, one of my favorite passages is over in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where he talks about being worthy of God, uh, worthy of your calling, excuse me. He says here you'll be worthy of God, worthy of the uh, kingdom of God, uh, counted worthy of the kingdom of God. But then over in Ephesians, he says you will be, he says live up to your um Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So we have a calling from God. God has called us, and he says, now you live up to that, to that calling that you have. And then, and we won't go into any details, he tells you how in verses 2 and, and following. But we're going to look at something in a moment that's really, really practical of how we can do that from Thessalonians. Um, then another thing that motivates us is the Lord's fairness. Have you ever said, I don't know of anyone who hasn't ever said, that's not fair. Have you ever said that, Jonah? Yeah, that's not fair. You know, it, it doesn't take, maybe, maybe Marilyn hasn't said it. Have you ever said that's not fair? Yeah, even she has said that. Because we have this sense of right and wrong and fairness. And so we look around us and sometimes it doesn't seem fair. You're, we're suffering. Suffering doesn't seem fair because we know people who are worse than us and they're not suffering like we are or something like that. And he says here, he says, uh, he says, God, first of all, he says, this is all evidence that God's judgment is right. And then in verse six, he says, God is just. And another way we could say that is God is fair. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. Have you ever said, I'm going to get you back? Sometimes you, you've never done that with your brother. You know, ah, you do it. I'm going to get you back. You know, we always want to get somebody back. And here he says, the one who is ultimately completely fair and knows how to get people back the right way. He says, he will pay back trouble. To those who trouble you, that can be a lot of comfort. You don't have to pay back the trouble. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to do it. He says, God is, God is fair. God's just. He's going to trouble those who trouble you. Woo. <laughs> that's, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. That's kind of like, uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood, you know, it's like, you mess with me. I'm going to mess with you. And he goes, Ooh, okay. I won't mess with you. But here God says, you mess with them, you're messing with me. I'm going to trouble you. And then he goes on to say, uh, and 
give relief to you who are troubled. So he, not only is he going to fix whatever, whatever that is, whatever trouble he's going to give somebody, and I don't know what that looks like, just like I'm, I'm not sure exactly to know, I know what love looks like sometimes. Love can be very soft, and sometimes love can be very hard, and maybe trouble sometimes can be very hard, and maybe it can be sometimes very soft. I don't know. But God can do that. God knows. God's going to do that. And that's why it's, it's a comfort to me to pray God's blessings on people who are aggravating me. I pray God bless that person, whatever they need. Bless them with what they need. Instead of me saying, give them a bunch of trouble, God. You know, curse them for me. Beat them up for me. I don't know what they need. God knows what they need. And they might need a good hiding. They might need a good spanking from God. All right? They might need that. And I don't want to get a spanking from God, but maybe they need a good spanking from God, and that will be a blessing. Or they might need some something good to come in their life that will, you know, that, that will shower them with God's blessings that will change their life. See, I can't read their hearts. I don't know. So it's a comfort to me to say, God, whatever trouble, whatever blessing, whatever that looks like, or my enemy there, that person who's giving me trouble, I'm just turning it over to you. And I don't have to take revenge. And I don't have to get back at them. And I don't have to, uh, I don't have to manipulate it, the situation, uh, you know, politically, you know, saying, you know, getting, you know, uh, you know how the, the, you know how those things happen where you say something to kind of get around this way to get somebody uh, uh, get somebody to say something to somebody and you're 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 manipulating the situation. You just say God is in your hands. I can't do it. And He says this is this is what motivates us to grow in faith and our love for each other and keep on keeping on. It's just turning it over to God. That promise of relief. That promise of God's. Uh, of God's uh, uh, fairness. And then the promise of God's glory in verse 8, he says, he will punish those uh, who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut up from the presence of the Lord and the majesty on, of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy uh, people and to be marveled at among all those who believe. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. And we can get lost in the details, and it's good to think about it. You know, what what does that mean? The destruction of of those who do not know God. But sometimes we get so focused on what God's going to do there that we miss this other part where He says, uh, "We will be glorified." God will be, or Christ will be glorified in his holy people and marveled among all those who believe. So there's this promise of some kind of glory, some kind of uh, uh, marveling that we will see when he comes back and is glorified is mar- and mar- uh, in, in his people and, and his people will marvel at that. And the whole focus really in this book, in Second Thessalonians, is that word glorified. It's used four or five times over and over. Um, look at verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus 
may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That might be a, very, a, a pivot point of the whole book or a, a center point of the whole book where he says our, pray, our prayer is so that God or that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and then you in him. So let me end by giving a real practical way of doing this. This is, this is kind of like, hey, our faith needs to grow. Oh, yeah, that's true. Our love needs to continue to grow. We need to persevere. That's good. It's good to, to, to know that God uh, wants us to live worthy of his kingdom, and there's ways to do that. It's really good to know that God uh, is fair and that he will take care of all these things and his promise of glory is coming in. But Monday morning or Sunday afternoon, give me something really practical. And Paul always does that in his letters, okay? Look at chapter 3. And we can read a whole little section here, but we're just going to concentrate on, on one. Well, it's really verse uh, 6 all the way to verse, really to the end, but uh, verse 13 especially. But we're not going to read the whole thing. But if you, I want to just point out uh, here, he, he talks about, number one, keeping away p- from people who are idle and do not live according to the, the te- teaching you have received. And then he says, look at the way I lived when I was there. He says, when I was with you in Thessalonica, look at what I did. He said, I was not idle. I didn't eat anyone's food. Hmm? Can you explain the difference between this idle and an idle you Oh, okay. The difference between idle, lazy. This word means lazy. Idle means sitting around doing nothing, being lazy. All right? Not an idol, O-L, that you worship. So he's saying, don't sit around. He says, I wasn't sitting around being lazy. I didn't eat from your table without paying for it. I actually paid for it. He said, I worked day and night. Probably he's talking about how he worked uh, as a tent maker making tents, that was his trade, and selling those tents, and then teaching people. He says, I did that so I wouldn't be be a burden on you. He says, "Uh, we did this not because we don't have the right. He said, I had the right to ask for help. I had the right to, to get paid for what I was doing. But I said, I wanted to show an example to you how you're supposed to live your your life. And then he says, we gave you this rule. If a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. That's a pretty good rule. All right. And then he says this. We hear that some among you are idle or lazy. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. (laughs) He says they're not being busy doing what they should be doing, but they're being busy bodies. And such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Here's something very, very practical. You know, this is not up in the sky. You know, we need to grow in our faith. We need to love one another and sing some nice songs, you know, that type of thing. He says, this is how you do it. Stop being lazy. Isn't that practical? He just says, don't be lazy. When you're not lazy, when you're spending your time the way you should be, and I'm not talking about when you're tired and you need to take a nap. 
That's not laziness, all right? I'm talking about just not doing the things you're supposed to be doing. Not getting the job done that you're supposed to be getting done. Just leaving it off. When you're being lazy like that, it says, you're not, that's not, that's not promoting faith. That's not promoting love. So get yourself busy. And don't be a burden on other people. And then he says this in verse 13. And never tire from doing what is right. Don't be lazy. Do what's right. It's really practical. Really simple. So God says if you want to grow in your faith, you want to grow in your love for each other, you want to persevere, those are, those are all great standards. But here's a real practical way of doing it. Get up. Get busy, do what's right. And that's Second Thessalonians chapter one. How we're supposed to live in the in response to it, persecuting society. So when we're being persecuted out there, when people are bothering us, when people are talking bad about us, keep busy. Show them by example how you're supposed to live your life. Do good. Um, Jesus said that. Do good to those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. And pray for those who despitefully use you. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.